This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what does the phrase simple living mean to you? Well, today, we tackle being maybe a little over frugal with comedian and the host of Crazy Money, Paul Ollinger, and two-time Olympian and host of the Worth Winning podcast, Lauren Williams, and also joining us, three-time Olympic shot putter, poet laureate, and Nobel Prize winner, Len Penzo. (laughs) I'm just kidding, he's not any of those things, but... His ego's fragile. Plus, do you love our Friday FinTech segment? If so, then you're going to love today's guest, Zach Pettit, who is the host of the new For FinTech's Sake podcast. We'll talk about the past, present, and future of the world of easier money management technology with Zach. And finally, we'll make sure to magnify a lucky listener's money. And of course... I'm out to stump our roundtable with my high-flying trivia. And now, a guy who probably needs to get more diversified and start another project, it's Joe Saul Cihai. I am Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and happy Friday, everybody. So happy to be the one to help you usher in Friday. We've got a fantastic, you, you know what you do first thing on Friday? Number one is you surround yourself with fun people. And number two, you take something from Reddit that makes you want to poke your eyes out. We're going to do both of those on today's show. But first, let's introduce who's hanging out with me today. And uh, we'll start off underneath 
Los Angeles from his bunker. Mr. Len Penzo joins us. How are you, man? You know what, Joe? I just finished barbecuing this weekend and uh, I had some ribs. You know, I've got to say, I, I have this special rub, this rib rub, Pappy Penner's rib rub. I think I'm going to uh, market it. It's so dang good. I came, I was eating the ribs yesterday and, and it was just uh, absolutely delicious. And I was like, why, why aren't I marketing this stuff? Wait a minute. So somebody else makes the rub. No, no, no. I make the rub. You make the, but I thought you just called it Pappy Penner's rub. <laughs> or is that what you call it? That's what I called it. That's my brand name. That's my brand name. Pappy <laughs> Penner's. You're not going to call it the persistent inch rub. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know what? That's I didn't think of that. No, I think Pappy Penners has a good, a, a better ring to it. But but it's so good. I was just, I just, folks, look for it on the shelves within a year. It's going to be there. Pappy Penners. There, there is some joke. Len Penzo is just starting to bake that we're going to learn about like three months from now. With that, I have no idea where that's going, but I'll play along, Len. It's going to be going to be great. I want to see a segue off of this one. I know. Uh, here's here's my segue. A woman who's wondering what the hell she's doing here, because you may know her. Uh, number one, you may know her worth listening podcast, first of all. Number two, you may know her from the Summer Olympic Games, where she was an Olympian. And also, as if that wasn't enough, she was also a member of our Winter Olympics team. Lauren Williams joins us. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I am giving up on all that track, bobsled, Olympic, whatever <laughs> stuff. I even gave up on the financial stuff. And I am starting to market my cookies. So like Lynn, I have a secret recipe that's going to be amazing. I need help with branding, though. So if you guys can help me out, that'd be great. It is an oatmeal raisin cookie that is super, super soft in the middle, but crispy on the outside. I know a guy who has uh, some ribs and you and him could get together and you could be like the dessert portion. Because who doesn't love ribs and cookies? Absolutely. That would be great. Lauren, Lauren, I'll license the name Pappy Penner's to you for, you Mm -hmm. know, Pappy Penner's uh, cookies. Uh, No takers here. I think I can come up with a better brand name than that. I I wonder what Pappy Penner's is code for. There's got to be, it's got to be, got to be something there, Lauren. So tell everybody about the Worth Listening podcast, because you have a lot of fun there. It is amazing. We are actually gearing up for real estate and home buying in the upcoming season. And the podcast is all about helping people feel more comfortable talking about money topics. So we know it's a taboo thing that no one likes to talk about. You've cornered the market and making it fun and exciting, yeah. but I'm trying to edge my way in there. And people come on, they tell their money story. And it's been really, really insightful and enlightening for a lot of people. Yeah, it is a ton of fun. And we'll link to it on our show notes page as we will also link to this next gentleman's podcast as well. He's the host of the Crazy Money Podcast. He also is a guy who is uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, trying to stay away from his family as much as possible. Mr. Paul Ollinger joins us. They keep following me. <laughs> what a the house. <laughs> so what does a comedian do during a pandemic? Looks for a job. Which is why you're really here, isn't it, Paul? No, you're you're really here asking if we know somebody. I'll tell you what, Len and Lauren need a marketing guy. They need a marketing I, guy for their products. I needed economic stability, so I, I started a podcast. That was my solution. <laughs> because I wasn't losing enough money doing comedy, traveling to gigs that paid three or 400 bucks a weekend. So I decided, 
hey, why not start a habit that requires thousands of dollars worth of equipment and uh, hundreds of dollars worth of support? Paul, when it's backed up by all that big podcasting money, you're good. Right. I actually have a new business model. Um, let me run it by you guys. I'm offering my corporate friends uh, the opportunity for $5,000, I will talk you out of starting a podcast. That, that has a higher ROI than probably any investment available on the market today. I paid $5,000 and didn't stick with this thing forever and ever and ever. There's got to be a, a robust market in used podcasting equipment. It's like, you know, like, like aquariums and, you know, shattered dreams and road mixer boards that you can get on the side of the highway somewhere outside of L.A. This is already going to be a good time, I can tell. Paul, by the way, tell everybody a little bit about the Crazy Money Podcast and we'll get into this thing. The Crazy Money Podcast exists to explore the connection between money and happiness through the lens of my guests' expertise or money journeys. And so we talk to celebrities, broadcasters, journalists and academics and everyday people about uh, what we can learn from them about the connection between money and happiness. I know an Olympian who'd be a great guest on your show. She sounds very interesting. In fact, I have an Olympian coming up uh, later in September. Apollo Ono will be on the show. So, uh, you know, we're starting a trend. I don't like to be second. I'm not coming on that show. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Apollo. Lauren's like, Apollo who? What are you, what are you talking oh, about? <laughs> well, we've got Lauren here. We've got Paul here. We've got Len here. We're going to talk about a recent Reddit piece that kind of blew up online. So let's get this party started. We always kick off these discussions by diving into a piece. Of course, we mentioned today's is from Reddit, but you know what? Because all those of you out there in Stackerland, you haven't read the piece. I love having a celebrity reader to read it to you. And today I am super excited because we have a true celebrity here at the microphone. I can't believe he has time in his busy schedule. Say hello to celebrity reader, Nigel P. Far from flogging. Welcome to a dramatic reading of the recent epic Reddit post entitled, What Do You Say No To? <coughs> <coughs> Practically speaking, for me, simple living means saying no to things and whole categories of things in order to stay simple. Here's my list. Birthday parties. My kids don't go to them. And we don't have anything other than dinner or cake as a family. Christmas. We take a vacation each year for Christmas. No presents. No weird family get-togethers. We see them at other times. No expectations. We don't decorate. Don't get a tree. We have a handful of Christmas-themed books, and we read those during that season. Work events. We don't go to any work events or parties, and I don't participate in workplace fun. I don't dress up. Oh, God, why does my school have so many costume days? Or participate in January Health Challenge. Cars. We commute by bike. If it isn't within about five miles away from us, we don't go there. We live in a great place for this. There is so much to do. We can also take the ferry if we need to get further away, like the airport, and can Uber if we have to. 
gift giving. We don't exchange gifts with anyone. Sometimes I will get my friends a surprise gift, but never because of a particular occasion. Weekly commitments. We only commit to regular weeknight events for a maximum of three weeks. For example, my husband plays D&D, and he only commits to three weeks at a time before reevaluating. His group loved this, so they do three weeks on and three weeks off. A friend asked if we could get together every Tuesday, and we will schedule three weeks at a time. This is one I've been enjoying, and we've been going strong for about two months, but I only commit for three weeks at a time. I'm sure there are more typical ones like buying new clothes each season, but these are some of the choices that were harder for me to make. Big thanks to Nigel for taking time off of his busy, busy tour. Of course, hard to tour with coronavirus, so maybe that's why Nigel was available. But let's dig into this piece. So, Lauren, when you read this piece, uh, what did you think about what this person's saying no to? They're saying no to a lot. The first thing was birthdays. And with a birthday coming up, I've always treated my birthday like a national holiday, but it literally now is a national holiday. So I'm, I'm a 9-11 baby. Um, well, it's not really a holiday. It's a day of no, mourning. No, right. Yeah. Who doesn't want to celebrate birthdays, even when your birthday is a national day of mourning? Well, for years, it's a way to kind of uh, counteract what's going on on the 11th which is why it's so important to celebrate them. I cannot believe that he's going to say no to birthdays. Well, that's actually why we had Jan Lauren was to say belated happy birthday because we missed it. Yeah, I forgive you all, but you can send me a check. I Venmo, Cashback, PayPal. I take all of those things. Why did I know that was coming? I I knew exactly (laughs) that was coming. Paul is an old guy. Do you still celebrate your birthday? (laughs) Every day, every day, Joe. I love birthdays. I love Christmas. I love work events, although I don't have them anymore. I don't see the joy in not decorating, getting a tree. I mean, that is unless you don't celebrate the season for religious reasons or something. This She doesn't sound like a lot of fun, This, this the person that wrote this article. I got to be honest. But when they look at this, though, Paul, sticking with you for a second, I mean, they're obviously looking at the cost of all these things, right? That really for them, they have no meaning anymore. They're like birthdays. You know, I was reading a piece Recently, uh, it was a fantastic letter where Robert Louis Stevenson gave away his birthday to a friend of his daughter because his this guy's daughter, she happened to be born on Christmas Day. And Robert Louis Stevenson thought that that was baloney. So it's this hilarious letter where he's telling her, you know what, I've had enough birthdays. You can now have mine. So if birthdays no longer matter to you, like they clearly matter to Lauren. But if they don't matter anymore, why not give it up? First of all, Robert Louis Stevenson is a poor man's James Altucher. So that, I don't want to hear any more about that guy. <laughs> Secondly, maybe I'm missing the point of the article, but is this about living simply or is this about saving money? I mean, like, I don't think you have to spend a lot of money to decorate your house for Christmas. You can make decorations with ribbon and bows and draw pictures. I mean, this sounds like people that are, I, I don't know, you but know they how have- I feel about that. Yeah, but they have a different thing. I mean, they say that they take a vacation every year for Christmas. Like, that is their gift to themselves. Well, that sounds nice, right? And But they say no weird family get-togethers. And then and then later he says they play D&D every week. And it's like, maybe you're the weird person. Have you thought about that? You know, like, what do you think your relatives say about you, Mr. Eight-Sided Dice, Mr. 22-Sided Dice? 
Who's the weird one at the table if you don't know who the weird one is, Joe? You know what, Paul? You're killing me because you know what? In high school, I was the D&D kid with all those 20-sided, 6-sided, 8-sided dice. I'm going to have to put on my cloak of invisibility. (laughs) I would not throw a fireball. (laughs) I would not be judging judging her if she did not say that they don't have any weird family get-togethers. She says that like, it's like, okay, well let's, what, let's examine that. What's going yeah, on? No, weird family. I thought the same yeah. thing. <laughs> I thought the same thing. She's talking about the weird one. Well, I, I can, like, yeah, look in the mirror. I can, speaking of weird family get togethers, Len, I can imagine the Penzo family get togethers, but as weird as it gets. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you try squeezing everybody in the bunker. It gets really, uh, gets really hot in there. Let me tell you that. Let me say this though, about the birthday parties. That's ridiculous, not having birthday parties, especially when you have kids. That's just unconscionable to me. But we do – at my house, we do draw the line on what I call the milestone parties, like the 40th birthday or the 30th birthday party or retirement parties or where a party would be on hyperdrive where you might have to end up inviting 80 or 100 people. We don't do that. So we do have parties, but we, we don't have these milestone parties where you might feel obligated to invite 50 or 100 people. Just keep it small. Keep it small. Yeah, keep it uh, modest. Is that a simple living thing, though, or is that just a you don't like huge parties kind of thing? Well, no, I like huge parties, (laughs) but I don't like (laughs) I don't like it. You know, we used we we, there were times when we would do on occasion we'd have a large party, but I mean, they are expensive. And so we drew the line after that. It it became a little little expensive. But hey, if you want to have a large party, Joe, invite me. I'll be there, buddy. Lauren, huge party last weekend. Masks on for everybody. Uh, maybe, maybe not, you know, might've done it Usain Bolt style and had party with no mask, but no. you weren't invited. So you didn't catch COVID. <laughs> Don't worry. It's okay. I mean, I have to come and play devil's advocate for this person a little bit. Like, well, I am a yes person um, and they're saying no to a lot of stuff that I don't really agree with. I think what they're really saying no to is too much structure. They don't like all these things that we have to do that is like so much obligation and it's not authentic. And we're constantly having all the time, you know, buy people ugly sweaters and go to bed, bath and beyond and get all these all these things for these holidays that are coming up when we don't really want to. Like, I I get why they want to say no to that. But generally, I'm a yes person. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times you're giving somebody a gift and you don't even really know if they're going to like the gift. You're giving it to them because it's you're compelled to do it because of tradition. Exactly. And time is so valuable. They said no to weekly commitments. Like I'm kind of down with that. Like there are so many things I've committed to that I've been doing for years on end weekly. And I'm just like, this sucks. When do I get to stop doing this? And (laughs) I'm in control of that. I can say no, except for I'm a yes person. So (laughs) no to weekly commitments. That's kind of cool. Is stacking Benjamins one of those things, Lauren? Yeah, I definitely do not commit to stacking Benjamins on a regular basis. I'm in the pro party party, by the way. I think I I think you got to look for ways and reasons to celebrate life. So my wife and I, we get all eyes wide shut for Arbor Day, man. We go all in. You're tapping all the maple trees. Weird masks. Absolutely. Who knows what's under that cape? Uh, I was going to ask you, as a guy who worked for the man for a while, this idea of work events. I always thought, Paul, that going to work events, I mean, going to work events, I can see that they're boring, but that kind of affects your career, right? Like, don't get me wrong. You don't want to be one of the last five people doing karaoke at the end of the night because everybody's talking about you and you don't get, you know, drunk and say bad things to your boss. But not going to work events can affect your career. Yeah, I think work events, uh, there's an art to the work event. And I used to love work events when I was single. Work events were great. Work events were, when I was young and single, there were free meals, free drinks, lots of carousing with 
beautiful people. And uh, then I went to a sales conference as a married person. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> why, why would anybody want to come and do this? But yeah, I mean, work events are great while they last and then they become work, I think, later on. But it kind of is work, don't you think? Len, you work for the man, isn't it? Don't you think a work event is is work? I, I think you kind of have to go. Um, it can help your career, no doubt about it. That is your opportunity. A work event is your opportunity to get closer and get to know uh, your superiors and your superior's superior, actually, who I've always said is the most important person in any business career. It's not your boss. It's your boss's boss. So, yes – you might not like them, but it can help you move up the ladder. It's one way to do it. I know hard work you know, usually pays off, but it, it never hurts to uh, expand your network with the higher ups. Yeah. Lauren, let's move on to this cars thing. Well, you're shaking your head. What do you mean? Well, no, no to work events. Like I became an entrepreneur specifically to avoid work events. So oh. as an entrepreneur, I'm not creating any work events. I'm not going to any work events. I hate networking. Nope, nope, nope to work events. I agree with this person. You don't see this as networking? I feel like I'm networking with all of you right now. We're getting along very well. Nope. This is the kind of work <laughs> event that's nice because I can hang up at any point and say, I don't want to work anymore. <laughs> we know we ask Lauren the wrong question. <laughs> like it's, it's a trouble for all of us. have a strong opinion about something. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I wish she would. Let's talk about cars. As somebody who's used to running very, very fast places, uh, this idea of getting a morning workout and riding your bike versus taking your car places, what do you think about that? I think I live in Dallas and you would not live very long if you rode your bike everywhere because everything is bigger in Texas. So you might die from exhaustion, uh, from heat stroke or be hit by a car, which is very likely by the time you get to the corner. So yeah. Yes to cars, no to bikes in Dallas. You're not riding I, your bike down I-30? I, I'm no? not riding my bike down I-30. I'm not <laughs> riding it down Northwest Highway, not Park Lane, not Marshland. Nope. Nope. No bikes in Dallas. I've seen, I actually seen somebody get hit by a car. I mean, hit by a bike, by a car in Dallas. So definitely not going to try that. So not doing it at all? No. No. But yes got, to cars, no to bikes. But you've got like the beautiful Katy trail there that you could ride. Yeah, but they cross a few streets and you can be on the trail and then cross the street and then get hit by a car on your bike. So, nope. No. I'm passing on the bikes. Do you run anymore? There's Pelotons now. I heard of that. You know, people are doing yes. that stationary in their house. They're riding. It's similar to a bike, but you cannot get hit by a car for the most part by doing that. No. So are you running anymore? Occasionally, but frequently not. I'm doing these like weird exercise -y sort of things where you do like a circuit and you kind of stop whenever you want you lay down and you take a break and you come back to the exercise, but very little running in my post-athletic try to stay in shape. Health yeah. Thing. Yeah. That, that's what Paul does too, but his involves like a Krispy Kreme at the end. Yeah. You got to have goals, Joe. Guys, we talked about gift giving. We talked about work events. Lauren mentioned weekly commitments. Paul, you like the fact that you don't have so many, well, you have a bunch of weekly commitments because you've got kids at home. My whole life is commitments, Joe. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, I, yeah, we, yeah, we've got kids. It's great. I mean, you know, kids are, yeah. I mean, we've got baseball practice and man, we've missed our weekly commitments. I've missed socializing. I've missed, we, we had our first baseball practice in six months last night and it was great to be out there. I don't want to overcommit. I don't want to commit to things that I don't want to do, but you know, I'm in a book club. We meet once a month. I don't, I want to be with people I want to be with. I don't want to commit to things that I'm half-heartedly committing to or committing to out of obligation. 
Well, let's talk about this then. If these aren't your ideas of simple living, like if you're going to define simple living and what Lauren, Paul, and Len think of simple living, Len, when you think about simple living instead of these, if you're kind of throwing these out, how would you advise people to live a simpler life? <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to say keeping your commitments to a minimum is a great way to, <laughs> to live a simpler life. What is a simple life? I mean, if you want to sit in the shell, sit in your shell, I mean, you can make life. I can lock myself in my bunker all day long and life can be very simple, right? To me, this weekly commitments thing is that's part of life. I mean, why would you limit your weekly commitments? I mean, if you're going to keep your 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 schedule booked 40 hours a week, you know, that's, you know, and you have nothing else to do. I can see that's a problem, but you know, as long as you keep your commitments, everything in balance, everything in balance, you know, I, I, it seems like this person has gone into a hole for everything. It just, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. The person sounds miserable for everything. And I think they've just gone totally overboard. This is almost a parody letter. I don't even know if this is real. No, it's on Reddit. Of course it's real. Yes, exactly. Of course. Not like it's on Facebook where all the, you know. (laughs) Good point, Paul. That's right. And uh, propaganda goes. Lauren, what's your idea of simple living? I would say there's this famous person and she says, does it bring you joy? Instead of the no's, I think this Reddit thing is way too much on the no. Like, what are the things you are excited about saying yes to? When someone asks you, blah, 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 do you go, oh, yes, like, let's do it. If that's a thing, like, simple living is all about feeling super excited about whatever it is you're saying yes to. If you don't feel super excited about it, eliminate it. Then say no. Not necessarily say no, just eliminate it. Just No is bad. Yes is good. Eliminating is somewhere in the stratosphere in between. So you're saying just ghost everything else? Is that what happens when somebody just doesn't say no? Ghosting. Yes. I am a proponent of ghosting. I'm okay with that. That's why I had to write you like 16 times and show up at your house to get you on this podcast. Exactly. I was trying to ghost (laughs) you, but you're pretty persistent. Yes, I am. Uh, Paul, your idea of the simple life? Because you're a guy who went from a lot of uh, chaos in your life to simple life. It starts with knowing what you want and understanding what your sources of, of joy and happiness are in your life. And I mean, you know, my wife and I were talking about there's some trips coming up and some other guys are doing this trip where they're going to go to Montana and hang out and just sort of like isolate for a while. And I was just like, you know what, let's just let's just not try to jump on planes right now. Why don't we just take things slow and, you know, focus on staying healthy and and enjoying the 80 percent of life that is opened back up without trying to push it too far, because that's where we start to get into trouble. You know, let's just let's just relish the baseball practice that we get to have that we didn't have, you know, for the last six months. And over time, we can keep pushing things as they return to normal. Knock on wood. Well, if you've been around the neighborhood for a while, you know that this is the time in the basement when we dive into Friday FinTech. Most of the time, it's a single company that we're talking about. We talk to either a founder or somebody from the team to tell us what some of these cool small brands are doing that the big banks probably should be doing. Well, today we're going to go a little bigger. We're going to widen the lens because... A friend of mine who ran Fountain City Fintech for a long time, his name's Zach Pettit. Zach has left Fountain City Fintech in Kansas City. Now he is a podcaster himself. 
And Zach has a podcast called, wait for it. You're going to know that Zach's a friend of mine because the name of his podcast is For Fintech's Sake. What a great name. Let's talk to Zach Pettit about the state of fintech. And I'm my dad, Shortwave, my best friend in Kansas City. It's my good friend, Zach Anderson Pettit. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Joe. I think you just offended everybody else that you've met in Kansas City <laughs> if they know me, but I'm doing well, man. It's good to talk to you. All of our friends in Kansas City, and I love people in Kansas City, as Kansas City knows, uh, know that you are a cut above, my friend. You're a cut above. Oh, that's it's an honor, sir. It's an honor. I think we should just cut this interview here. I think this is as good as it's going to get. Let's move on with our days. He's going to go out on top. Well, I love talking to you because you and I have talked a lot back in your days with uh, with Fountain City FinTech. You've introduced me to a lot of different concepts and a lot of cool people that are in the industry. But now imagine my surprise when I'm going through lists of podcasts and I put in FinTech and Zach Pettit's got a podcast. What made you join us? Was it getting your hand in this big podcast money game? Well, I'll tell you, I really don't know why I get out of bed to go to work anymore because the the ads that I don't actually read are clearly just paying all my bills. I'll tell you, Joe, I mean, you were a little bit of the inspiration, man. And I don't think, you, well, I had no idea what you were going to ask me. So you probably didn't expect me to say something nice about you in return. But, you know, watching what you guys have done with Stacking Benjamins really kind of you know, it gave me this sense of like, well, you do something for long enough and you keep trudging on it, even if it is from your mom's basement, like it's going to get there eventually. And there's some good stories in the world to be told. So why not? And, you know, from my perspective, nobody was really telling a lot of those kind of Midwestern, less, you know, unicorny kind of standard Silicon Valley stories. And I get out of bed for stories like that. So it just seemed like a thing that made sense to do. It is so exciting. There are so many great people out there that have phenomenal ideas that are just underexposed. They're great ideas looking for an audience, right? I mean, that, yeah. that I think for me, is the hardest thing when I talk to some of these founders, Zach, is finding your audience. Like today, how do these people find an audience? Oh, it, that is one of the best questions that exists in the world today, right? It's this question of does, and this is getting into some startup nerdiness, but you know, is product market fit? Is the the market liking your product? more or less important than distribution market fit. And I think that's the the question is like, is it better to have a great product or great to have a great distribution channel? And the right answer is both. But you know, the way the world is progressing these days, it seems like the right answer is distribution. And the you know, especially on the consumer side, it's not an easy answer. Like either you figure out the best Mac daddy way to run Facebook ads and like, hey, let's convert people on Instagram. But like everybody is fighting for those eyes, right? And uh, it actually just clicked. One of my recent guests um, uses or not uses, but uh, will similar to my previous days, send folks over to Joe at Sacking Benjamins because, you know, you have this this group of incredibly financially minded, financially focused individuals listening to this podcast. And that's a great spot to try and get, you know, some interest in a new product. So it's trying a whole bunch of different things, nothing being incredibly clear. And then you call Joe, I guess is the answer. <laughs> you call Joe. Yeah, no, no pressure there, man. Zero, zero. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, I do like it because you and I have talked about this. I mean, a lot of this stuff is crap that Bank of America should be doing or some of the big insurance companies with InsurTech. These are things that they yep. should have done long ago, but they're so entrenched that it's very, very difficult. I mean, some of the people that I saw you with at Fountain City FinTech, their pedigree is amazing. 
Oh, yeah. That's the wild part is like, you know, you got two people sitting in a room with an idea and, you know, maybe they have a bank partner, maybe they have a dollar in the bank, but their previous life is probably nothing that you guessed, right? Like one good example is I think you've met Aaron from Navit. And, you know, she spent four or five years working in the backcountry of Africa and working specifically on clean water projects and economic projects. And like, you wouldn't believe the things that she went through before she got to, hey, let's build a financial wellness oriented app for, you know, millennials. It continues to amaze me that I'm surrounded by people so much smarter than myself. But I mean, that's the beauty of the space. That brings up another thing. I mean, Navit is such a great theme about where fintech is right now, because looking at Aaron's product, I mean, it is it's so exciting what she's doing. What have been some of your favorite themes of the last 12 to 24 months in fintech? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, favorite is a slippery slope because then you get me up on my soapbox. But I'll give you the the ones that I'm seeing the most and I'll try and remove a little bit of my value judgment from them. I think one of the big ones that we're seeing right now was, God, Joe, it's been so long since you and I hung out in person that like last time we were in person together, the big theme in fintech was unbundling, right? So the, to your point, right, these Bank of Americas, these Wells Fargo's, you log into the app and you're not sure what's happening, but you feel like they might have just vomited onto a feature list, right? It's, <laughs> you got this, you got that, you got 65 different versions of a checking account when you're just kind of like, wait, why? What, I, I just, I came here for one specific thing. And and that's that was wave one of fintech, right? It was like, oh, there's 65 things inside of B of A's app. They're not doing any of them really well. Let's just pick one and let's just laser focus on that and do it so much better than they could have even thought, right? Like Lemonade is a good example on the insurance side that just went public. Renters insurance was something that everybody was doing. And then it became something that just Lemonade was known for because they leaned so far into that one theme. And I think the the second wave that we're seeing now is this kind of like unbundling created a lot of best practices. And how do we rebundle those back together to create the next B of A, right? To create the next Wells Fargo. And you can look at the chimes of the world who went from you know, one product and now, depending on how you count it, anywhere from two to three. SoFi, I think, has what, six, seven different products now. Yeah. And that's just going to keep going, right? Like all of these companies are just thinking, they're not thinking necessarily just about the first thing they do. They're for the most part thinking about the first, second, third, fourth thing they do. And it's really, it's a slippery slope back to the, you know, 60 account feature list. But I think the second wave and the third wave that will take it even further is just going to going to simplify it and make it a lot better for the actual humanity of the world, which is a very exciting thing. So that's the biggest thing I've seen. Yeah. When you talk about this second wave, are companies going to achieve that you think in the future through partnerships? Are we going to see uh, partners like we just had uh, Hippo and Simply Safe on together with an exciting partnership that they have? Are oh, we cool. going to see more of those or is it going to be acquisition? Will it be companies swallowing each other? How do you see that playing out? Well, I mean, you know me. So my answer to that is yes to all of it. I think we're going to see a lot of versions of it, right? I think one of the things that's most interesting is coming from my previous life at MBKC, like I don't think the sponsor bank piece of this where you have a bank behind or in front or next to or however you want to phrase it, partnering with the fintech, that giving them kind of more of that compliance prowess. I don't think that's going anywhere because one thing that we have found out is that, you know, the amount of money and the amount of work that it takes to truly get a bank charter as we stand today in the world 
is just a really, really hard thing to do, right? We've seen Vero Money do it over the last, I think they got their official charter probably a couple months ago, and they're going through the process of getting that all onboarded now. But the answer is going to be that there's a different correct answer for pretty much every company. Um, but I would not expect... I would not expect you to see the Goldman Sachs's or oh, I don't know if I'd compare Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, but I would not expect <laughs> you to see the incumbents stop acquiring. Like, I think they're going to keep acquiring companies. They're going to keep acquiring them in an early stage to occasionally shut them down. They're going to keep acquiring them at a mid to late stage to actually implement them um, if they really see the synergy. God, I just said synergy on your podcast, Joe. You might have to slap me when we see each other next. Oh, that was such an out of the box thing to say. <laughs> was, I'm not allowed to say synergy uh, <laughs> publicly, I've decided. So I, I just broke my own rule. Hey, it's a lose-lose for both of us, my friend. Right. Exactly. See, we're just we're none of the correct SEO is going to happen by saying the word synergy. But it, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of answers and there's a lot of angles on it. And I don't think that one specific, you know, correct path has been established. And that's kind of the beauty of the whole conversation. Right. I mean, that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing at Bond. And that's why new companies are getting are forming every day to make these things easier to build. One of uh, my favorite people in the space is a gentleman who you just had on your podcast recently, Ryan Falvey at uh, FinVenture Studio. We've had him on a few times talking about where fintech's headed. How important is that role, by the way, a company like uh, FinVenture Studio having this or, or, you know, Fountain City, where you were having these incubators to help these budding entrepreneurs kind of get their hands on a bigger rope? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will any day of the week, if you want to compare what Fountain City FinTech was and what, you know, the FinVenture studio is today, like I will take that, but I think it's a little <laughs> offensive to Ryan uh, when they, you know, they have companies like Digit and, right. and, uh, and Dave and others that are just going absolutely bonkers. You know, we have some great partners, but it's, they're on a different level. But to your point, and to your question, I think they're incredibly important, right? There's a very limited number of people in this world that had the experience on, I mean, hence the term, right? The experience on the fin and the tech side, the financial and the technology side to be able to stand these products up in a way that makes sense without stubbing their toe 65 times before they get to the front door to go out in the morning. That's the beauty of Ryan is he knows where and that team, Shannon, that whole team knows where the landmines are in this process, right? So many of these great ideas die on the vine in the first six to 12 months because they just don't know the right people to be talking to. They don't know the right places to go raise money. They don't know the, they talked to 40 banks because they didn't realize they should start with these three. And so it's a time game and having somebody like FinVenture Studio on your side, like if I was starting a FinTech company today, I would definitely be applying for their program um, for things like Y Combinator. But I think especially there are these FinTech focused versions of that are incredibly important because FinTech is not the same as building the next Facebook, right? There's a lot of differences there. Yeah, absolutely. And and I want to ask about a couple of visions of the future that I have and ask you if this is where you think the ball's headed or if it's headed somewhere different. I feel like what Lemonade really did and what I'm seeing some of the leaders in, uh, in SureTech are really doing is just taking this whole onerous system of getting the product and making it super easy, right? Instead of filling out 10 pages that nobody's ever going to look at, making it a single page, using technology to figure out 
who is great for this insurance product and who's not. I just kind of see that continuing. And I think that's where that ball's headed. But when it comes with to investing, I think it's something different. And I actually heard this today, Zach. I'm covering a Morningstar conference, which is for financial advisors. And, you know, they were talking about this trend that Robinhood and then M1 kind of started, which is, hey, we're not going to charge anything for trades. How far away are we from completely individualized indexes where I've got an index that's not the S&P. I've got an index that is just specifically for me and my goal. So if I like ESG investing, but I only like the E and the G and I don't really care about the S as an example, I can pick out different things. I can look at different tax consequences. It feels like with fintech, that's where the ball's kind of headed in that area. Is that where you think we're headed to? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the customizability of these things is incredibly important. But I think before we get to the customizability, I think there's just like as of right now, there's no there's no robo advisor for actively managed mutual funds. Right. Just as one example or like actively managed traders. Right. So there's one that stood up. Uh, it's called Round. So I think the website's investround.com. Yeah. So they're taking, you know, the first step in that direction. And I think over time, companies like that will give you that ability. But the funny part about the whole thing is that I think it all comes back to infrastructure. Right. It's the companies, I think, like Motif that have done some versions of this. Like they're taking other funds and putting prettier names on them and putting them together. And it comes back to like the the actual, you know, OEM, the actual originator equipment manufacturer of this thing is so old that we had to just give you three of these instead of pulling one apart and giving you, you know, only showing you two pieces of it. Right. Wow. So I think it's it's much more of a it's much more of an infrastructure problem right now than it is like nobody's had that idea yet. Sure. So I think that's the other interesting part. And, the, you know, to your point about, you know, the Robin Hoods and the M1s is it's, there's a slippery slope before finance does become Facebook, right? With Robin Hood and M1, like you are the product, right? Because they're selling your order flow forward to the high frequency traders. And I think there's just a, there's a slippery slope where we all end up in this like Facebook of banking thing. And I don't know if that's good or bad for the world, but I think for the most part with kind of some of the stuff we've seen in the news about Robin Hood, like Probably not that good. So anyway, it's, in, it's interesting how fintech for good is like disjointing a little bit from broader yeah. fintech in some ways. No, I agree. And, and it's funny that you say that because, uh, you know, I've been playing around with public lately. And n not only can I trade on public, but I can also have Facebook-like stuff. So not only are they getting my trades, they're getting my opinions as well. And yeah. I'm, you know, and I'm wondering if that has any worth as well. Yeah. I mean, if you had access to like the stock twits or like public background or sure, like, you know, yeah. their infrastructure, you could probably front run an incredible amount of fascinating stuff. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, that's what high frequency traders are built for is give me all your data and then I will buy the thing before they do and then I'll make a margin on it. Right. It's a it's a very slippery slope towards us becoming this commoditized human thing that, you know, all the other companies are making money on. And we think we're saving money, but we may not actually be comparing apples to apples. Yeah. So much for synergy, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all the synergy gone at this point. I had hope. I got two more questions for you, big guy, before I let you go. Number one is tell me what you're doing now at Bond. Uh, what, what does Bond do? Yeah. So to that infrastructure piece, Bond is in the banking as a service space, right? So the, the classical world of let's go talk to 40 sponsor banks, you know, generally bankers are not the most fun conversations. I've been lucky to have some very good ones in my life. 
you know, it's not fun to talk to 40 bankers to find the one that's for you. And then you have to go find your issuer, your processor, and then you have to go find your know your customer technology. You have to put all these things together. And we've basically built this world where everybody is going out and recreating the wheel because we've decided that that's a barrier to entry that needs to exist. It's not a compliance thing. It's not even a, you know, it's just rebuilding the same technology every single time because we've just decided that you should. So Bond is basically taking the tact of, no, let's build the infrastructure for this entire industry. Let's allow the Nikes of the world, the large companies to vertically integrate a financial services product without having to stand up an entirely new division. And then let's also, you know, go support the folks that used to be in Fountain City FinTech or our Infant Venture Studio that have raised a couple million bucks and want to get to market quicker. So we're building basically a marketplace with banks on one side and fintechs or brands on the other and connecting the two through a set of APIs and a whole bunch of tech mumbo jumbo that I won't get into um, <laughs> that we are building that is back to that term infrastructure. And I'm I'm leading partnerships. So that's a much longer answer. These these uh, so these companies that we're talking about right now, you guys are under the hood of many of those companies, I would imagine. Yeah, well, we were founded last year, so the correct answer will be like, will be soon. under the hood of a lot. Indeed, indeed, soon. Yeah, this embedded payments, this embedded fintech thing of like, there's an existing distribution channel to our earlier conversation and putting a financial services product at the right spot in your existing flow. There's just so much potential there in the world. Be that alone. If you look at like a firm raised another big round today, Klarna announced another big round today. It's almost like they knew they were both going to announce rounds today. You know, there's a lot of just if you can find the person at the right spot in the flow and offer them a financial services product, then the world is your oyster kind of thing. So that's one of the big things we're running after. Yeah. And then last thing, of course. For fintech's sake, a lot of our audience loves getting nerdy with fintech. You know that both listeners to the show love fintech, but we can keep a secret, Zach. (laughs) Tell us what's coming up on the show that you even shared with anybody yet. Yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, we will have a couple interesting shows coming out. Next week is a woman named Catherine Van Nuys. She leads fintech at AWS. So she is the ultimate in infrastructure conversations. And we talk about what happens at AWS. How do they partner with fintechs? Wonderful conversation. And Catherine's just super fun to talk to. And then actually this morning, I had a conversation that will just you'll just be super interested It was with a group called FS Vector um, that is actually a compliance and regulatory services and how would I phrase it? I suppose lobbying firm uh, that works with a lot of early late stage fintechs and a lot of banks that are trying to get into fintech. So you got to be a pretty big fintech nerd to care about things like that. But if you are for fintech sake. <laughs> we will link to for fintech sake on the show. I was going to, I was trying to pull up our Homer Simpson nerd uh, thing, but I'm not going <laughs> to get there quick enough. But, but, but our longtime listeners both know Zach, that that's a badge of honor here. So congratulations on almost getting that man. It was great talking to you again. And uh, thanks for hanging out and talking fintech with us. Always, Joe. Such a pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait until I can actually see you in person again one day, but always good to hear your voice, man. Hey, trivia fans. It's me, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And now that you know the hard truth about simple living, I'm going to lay a fact on you. Since when has simple living not included owning your own jet? 
Well, a bunch of men and women keeping you and I safe in the U.S. of A. are celebrating with their jets today because did you know that the United States Air Force was founded on this day back in 1947? That fact brings us to today's trivia question. We spend a lot of money on jets in the Air Force along with many other aircraft. How many active aircraft does the Air Force have today? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can go Mach 3. All right, we briefed Lauren and Paul on how this game is played backstage. Uh, very complicated rules. <laughs> the, the, for those of you new to the show, Len and our normal contributors, OG and Paula Pant, have a year-long competition going on. And the score currently, Len has 12. And Len, you're playing on behalf of yourself. Paula has 12. And today, Lauren, you will be playing for Paula Pant. And OG has 11. And that means, Paul, you're going to get to decide whether you guess the answer first in the middle or last. I will go last, please. Paul will go last. And so, Lauren, would you like to go in the middle or first? I'm going to go in the middle. That is strange, which means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a middle child. There's four older than me and three younger than me. So I, I feel like I'm pretty good here in the middle. You're very comfortable in the middle. Well, for people that have listened to this for a long time, I said I, I was being sarcastic. That's not strange at all. That was like the perfect place to go, which means, Len, you, my friend, get to guess first. How many aircraft are there in the Air Force currently? This is talking about all the planes, not how many different types of aircraft. All right? the planes. Many, all the planes. Gosh. I think it's more than five. <laughs> I think it is too. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think you're right. Uh, let's, wow, that's a good question. Well, let's see. Biggest military in the world, obviously. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> You know what? I I don't even know how to begin to answer this. This is strictly the Air Force. This doesn't count planes by the Navy or Marines. This is or, just correct? Air Force. And it's Air also Force. active aircraft, by the way. He's stalling, Joe. He's stalling. Uh, yes. Of course he's stalling. <laughs> Quiet, Paul. Uh, okay. Does this include uh, helicopters? It's all active aircraft. <laughs> I don't even know if Air Force has helicopters. Uh, oh, I, I have no clue. And just how about boats? Listeners out of their misery. That was going to make all the difference. If they had helicopters, it was going to totally change Led's answer. Oh, they have helicopters. <laughs> oh, well, now, yeah, that was my excuse. I have no freaking clue. I am just going to say, let's see, there's 50 states, and let's say there's an average of, I don't know. 200 planes per state. I don't even know if this is the right way to do this. 10,000. 10,000. All right, Mr. Ollinger, what do you think about that? I think I'm going last is what I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Miss Miss Middle Child. <laughs> I think that he is wrong. Len, you're wrong. There's not 10,000. That, that's a lot. There are more like... My original number was going to be 329, and I feel like I should stick with that. But since you went so high, I'm feeling like I should push my number up a little bit to maybe like 489. There's 489 aircraft in the Air Force. 489 total. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, that gives you a wide field goal there. 489 on one end, 10,000 on the other. 
how do we figure out? Is it closest without going over? It, no is prices closest? rates. That we, I, I, I got to tell you, Paul, we used to do closest without going over and people had a fit. <laughs> it was, it's just and, closest. And rightly so. Now it is just closest. closest. And so it is math. So sorry, Lauren said, what was her answer? 489. Okay, that feels very low. I agree with that. Too low. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, 10,001. 10,001. <laughs> he, he Chelsea, he Chelsea Brennan's yet on his first. You're welcome, OG. You're welcome, my friend. <laughs> you and me, bro. We got this. Where's my bag? I need a bag. But Lauren's three way tie. Lauren's now thinking, I got everything up to what? 5,000, up above, just above 5,000. So. Yeah. Well, we'd like to I let sister in the Air Force. So I feel like I should have gotten this right just because I know someone that's in the Air Force, even though we've never talked about that. But <laughs> you've spell Air Force. You, you've a you've a sister in the Air Force? I do. <laughs> so so if you don't win this, what kind of grief is your sister gonna give you? You're just not gonna bring it up. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell her and I'll never yeah. I don't think she listens to stacking Benjamins. So. Oh hey, hey, hey. I I'm sure she probably does. Easy with she that. She definitely does. Yes, totally does. Hey, uh, we'd love to let you know who the winner is, but first we gotta do this. Well, if you're looking for wide ranging topics from best in class writers, look no further than the New Yorker. The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover the full range of topics. There's something for everyone, of course. News, international affairs, climate change, the environment, popular culture, arts. Two areas I really like are their fiction and food. I also like the humor in there. And, of course, the ever-popular New Yorker cartoons. How long has that cartoon been around? Forever? You know, I look back all the time at old publications, and it seems like you always see these phenomenal old New Yorker cartoons. The New Yorkers become the digital daily destination of, for news and cultural coverage, publishing 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. In addition to that, you can use their apps, read from the online archive, which dates all the way back to 1925. There it is right there. Self-crossword puzzles and more. Some of my favorite stuff in the New Yorker. Of course, I'm always interested in food. So anything written by Helen Rosner, who, if you don't know Helen, she's a James Beard award-winning food writer. We should have her on, by the way, next time that we cover food, because uh, Helen has great stuff. Anyway, she joined the New Yorker as a roving food correspondent in 2018, contributing essays and reported stories on all things gastronomic. Recently, I'm a big fan of case studies. I really enjoyed the story back in uh, late May about how Betsy Johnson built a fashion empire and lost her name. It's a great story about how Betsy experienced, of course, her whole heyday of her pretty and punk clothing brand and also her decision to sell it off, which is difficult. Whenever you see a founder decide that they're going to do something else, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty tough. I also like the true cost of dollar stores. You know, we had a dollar store down at the end of my street. And even when they had the dollar store there, I told Cheryl that I wasn't sure that it was in the right place. So it was interesting. Discount chains, of course, thriving. But what does the dollar store really do to poor communities? Of course, I love the humor. 
When the New Yorker comes, of course, I start with it, and then Cheryl grabs it for the crossword puzzle. So for a limited time, you can get 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just $6. That's a 50% savings because you're a stacker. Plus, stackers are also going to get an exclusive tote bag free. You're welcome. Go to newyorker.com slash SB. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash SB to get 12 weeks in New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag, newyorker.com slash SB. Len, we started with you, 10,000. How you feeling, big guy? Uh, I wasn't feeling very good at first, but I'm actually feeling pretty good now because I think Lauren was way too low. And actually, I thought my 10,000 was kind of high. So, and Paul was gracious <laughs> enough to go above me. So I think I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> Lauren, 489, they're both smack talking your number like it's way too low. I feel like it's a very accurate number. Like I'm precise. What is 10,000? That's like not even a real try. Like give a good guess. Yeah. Put some precision in there. You throw an 89 Lauren. on there. It sounds way more educated. Exactly. Like you did some real analytics to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> right. And Paul, 10,001, if it's a million, you got it. Yes, I do have it if it's a million. Yeah, what I liked was Lynn's, the case interview strategy that he used to answer the question. Where he actually had some logic behind his answer. It was terrible logic, but he implied some <laughs> a framework for thinking uh, uh, with which to approach the problem. I did consider 9,999, which would have given me 490 through, well, no, not really. It would have given me whatever, half of 5,000 to 49999. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's let Doug take it from here. Doug, what's our answer? Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on the Air Force's birthday, I can just imagine zooming around in my own awesome jet. We find a third listener for this show, and I'm sure some big show will be ringing my agent. You know, if I had an agent. Maybe Ellen DeGeneres will need an announcer guy for her inevitable comeback. Too soon for me to call her, you think? Nah, I'll let you mull on that, but time's up on thinking about today's trivia question, which was this. How many active aircraft does the Air Force have today? The U.S. Air Force has 1,377 fighters, including the F-16 Fighting Falcon, which costs $14.6 million per unit. It's no wonder why the Air Force needs a $153 billion budget. But $153 billion covers way more than just fighters. Of course, there are 1,204 training planes and many, many, many other aircraft for a grand total of 5,369 aircraft. Time for me to start calling Ellen's people. Maybe she has her own jet. See ya. Ooh. Oh, my You're going to have to do some math. I hope you Man. get the calculator out because it's very close. I don't know whether I won or Lauren won. I'm 90% sure Lauren won. Oh. However, but hold on. <laughs> did, I say, did I say 10,000? 89, 69. Like, it's just I was up by a few thousand, but still, I had most of the numbers right this, in this my is, speaking. I just, this, is a, this is tight. $14,000 for an F-16. That's what I paid for a Saturn in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> There's 4755 between the two of them. So plus her 489, right? 
it's it's I win. the midpoints 52 44 len wins yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that was closer than yeah, i thought it was going to be baby but mostly because neither of you guys know anything about how many is in there. <laughs> you're, you're both up by 5,000 airplanes. Yeah. It's we, good to know that there's a lot more planes Paul, than I was thinking. Paul, we should be good. Paul was off by 5,001. He's even worse. That's yeah, right. Paul. I went to the Air Force <laughs> Boneyard near Tucson last Christmas because we take glamorous vacations and my family. You do that uh, instead of giving each other gifts? That's right. Yeah. Instead of we're going to celebrate Jesus birth by going to a, uh, an Air Force plane dump out in the middle of the desert. And my daughter took probably 10,001 pictures while we did that tour. So I'm going to blame it on her. Oh, that's very nice of you. <laughs> good, good. You couldn't tell one plane from the other because she's of her not, picture. She's he, not getting any dessert tonight. He just throws his daughter under the bus. <laughs> If it weren't for you, I would have won that trivia contest with those really high stakes. <laughs> trivia contest with the biggest stakes. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash money, Lauren, you know what happens? What happens? It's amazing. You find out that those brick and mortar bank products that people are using nowhere near the best in class when you compare it to all the stuff that's available online. Over 92% of the savings accounts, checking accounts, consolidation loans, credit card offers, they're all ranked against each other at magnifymoney.com. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. You're welcome, Lauren. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, brick and mortar is not even a thing anymore. Can you go in a brick and mortar thing and get money out and which stuff? Is, which is why you wonder why people even use a brick and mortar bank for this stuff. I yeah. mean, you can't go. It's all online now. Right. Today we're going to help, uh, well, we're going to help Anonymous with their money. Say hi, Anonymous. Hi, Joe and OG. I've been listening to you guys for about two years now. And while, although I haven't really learned anything, I love the show. You guys are really funny, so keep it up. And my question is, since stocks are getting more expensive to buy as whole stocks, I was looking into purchasing fractional shares. My brokerage account is currently with E-Trade, but since they don't offer that option, I would have to open another account with another firm. So rather than keeping like extra cash in the checking account or my savings account that I would like to invest... I was thinking of doing it that way instead of waiting until I had hundreds of dollars where I could actually afford to to purchase stocks or whole ETFs. What would your advice be regarding that? And if there are any good brokerage accounts that I should look into if I do do that, or should I just hold off and just wait and save hundreds of dollars until I can afford whole stocks. What should I do? And what do you guys think? Okay. Oh, and if I get a free t-shirt out of this, I'm a size small. Thanks so much. <laughs> I love how many times in a row, Len, do we tell people you're getting a code and you don't have to brag about your shirt size? I'm I, a small too, by the way. Yes. I like it right up here. Midriff. My wife likes it when I wear it like that. Yeah. Too. Paul's not a small, but he likes his t-shirt small. 
To your point, Joe, you know, Anonymous said she's listening for two years, but apparently she hasn't been listening that closely. So, <laughs> Or she has. I, I keep thinking that we're getting baited. We just get baited over. Well, we, of course, we're getting baited and we're talking about it again. So thanks for the question, by the way. And thanks for hanging out with us for a couple of years. And uh, let's go to the financial advisor in the bunch, Lauren, buying ETFs or stocks and buying fractional shares. What do you think? I think um, maybe another brokerage account would be a good idea for her. So there are a lot of different brokerage accounts out there now that are allowing people to purchase fractional shares. So I'm all about simplicity. So maybe just closing down the previous account she mentioned and opening up one that does do fractional shares. And yeah, instead of having two different things to manage all over the place, that would be a good idea. Yeah. And I think between the two of those, for me, I'm thinking stick with the exchange traded funds over the individual stocks if she's looking for a little bit. So talk about the simple life. Would you agree with that? Oh, by all means. Yeah, I did hear her mention, you know, individuals and I'm just not a big proponent of that. Definitely ETFs, something that's going to be easy. You don't have to be an investment guru to to understand, but you get the diversification that's necessary. Uh, low expense ratios. Yeah, definitely a big proponent of ETFs versus individual stock picking. Yeah, Paul, any, any uh, thoughts? Well, how many stocks are over, say, $1,000 per share? Amazon. Okay, but just Google. How? How? Yeah, not a ton. Sure. Apple, I know, just did a four for one reverse split or a split, right? Yeah, yeah. But like, if you don't have a thousand dollars to buy one share of stock, should you be picking individual equities? Good point. I think this is a classic example of overthinking, and just you should be you should be putting this someplace diversified, starting a plan to put whatever forty dollars a week into into some kind of uh, index fund or something, as opposed to trying to pick the right stock that's going to go to the moon and uh, jump through hoops to try to do it. Len, which type of gold should she buy? The real stuff, not an ETF <laughs> if she's going to do that. Um, you like how I just bait that, Len and he goes right there. I, you know, I wanted to tack on to what Paul just said. And basically, I think Paul makes a great point. The thought process there from Anonymous is probably, hey, the stocks she wants to buy are all expensive, the good stocks. But usually those stocks, they, they, they could be already because they're already high priced. Their P.E. ratios might be high. They might be a little overbought right now. So maybe those are the wrong stocks to be buying anyways. There's an excellent article on MarketBeat.com that just came out uh, recently. There's 10 – it's called 10 Great Cheap Stocks to buy under $10 in 2020. And this just came out this month. So these are current stocks. It lists 10 stocks. They're under 10 bucks. But not only that, the PE ratios of all but one of them are under three, under three. And for anybody who doesn't really know, the average PE ratio generally for stock is about 14, 15. So these are really undervalued stocks. Uh, I'm not telling you to pick the stocks in that list, but I, I'm just giving you there, there are cheap stocks you can buy if you do insist on buying your own individual stocks. There are plenty of good stocks out there if you're willing to do the research that are cheap enough that you can buy for 10 bucks or less. But are cheap stocks cheap for a reason? Maybe. I mean, they could be cheap because people aren't aware of them. Usually they're just starting out, right? You got new companies that are that are trying to, they just haven't got the attention yet. That's one reason. Of course, they could be cheap because they're poorly run. That's why I said you have to do your your due diligence. But my point is, Joe, that there are cheap stocks out yeah. there. 
and there are some good there are good cheap stocks out there you just got to dig it doesn't so, have to be the thousand dollar stock where you're buying yeah yeah uh lauren if she put together a portfolio herself of let's say 10 uh stocks is that enough diversification you think I would say that is not a di enough diversification. And that's why I'm a big proponent of the ETFs. And if she is not a sophisticated investor, um, you know, it might have the Amazon and the Teslas and, you know, all those big stocks that you generally wouldn't be able to afford or that she might want to be in, that might be interested in. They might already be in the ETF. So maybe getting a better understanding of what an ETF has inside of it already would be a good place for her to start out to feel a little bit more comfortable about choosing an ETF instead of a stock. But to go back to Paul's point was, you know, if she doesn't have a whole lot of money to put in, you know, I'd start asking the kind of financial planner questions. Does she have an emergency fund? Is she, you know, contributing to an employer 401k? Could she make her life even more simple by simply doing something with something that already exists versus, you know, trying to open a, yet another uh, brokerage account outside yeah. of the traditional investment accounts that might be helping her? That's a good point. And if she's eligible for a Roth IRA, maybe even instead of open up just a regular brokerage account if her meets her goals, maybe put it in a Roth. Exactly. Um, uh, brokerage accounts. I'm kind of brokerage account agnostic. There's one that I don't like, and it's just because they've lied to their investors or not that but people that work with them uh, like four times. And it's Robinhood. Uh, I just think that with all the brokers out there, Robinhood just just is clearly not the choice. Besides that, I think there's a ton of them to go with. I mean, you know, all the usual suspects. And by the way, they're not they're not perfect. They're, they're just, they're just not Robin Hood, who's, who's very, very, has pointed the finger at everybody else for how bad they are and then has been way, way, way worse. So you guys have any thoughts about what brokerage account she uses, Paul? Go with the one that allows you to buy bauxite futures with your frequent flyer miles. <laughs> I don't know. No, this you're is make, I don't, you're making I don't my head hurt. I'm like, girl. I'm like, what is that? I didn't know what that is. It's a mineral of some kind. <laughs> yes. Some well, Paul was, so you're joking, Paul, because I wrote that down. just. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of cool, though. Would it be, you can buy precious metals or, you know, atomic elements using your credit card miles. Yeah. You, you, said, the word, never. you said the word bauxite and the credit card miles. I got all excited. He's like, I, I can do I that. I wrote it down. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But he's not going to buy the you bauxite. besides gold and silver? <laughs> I want to uh, leverage weather futures with my uh, with with next quarter's 401k contributions. Just Is that to, possible? Just to be clear, Paul, he's not going to buy the damn ETF for bauxite. He's going to buy the real bauxite. <laughs> right. If you can, right. if you he's can do store that, it, store it in his bomb shelter. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly right, Lauren. I should have gone to you first. Any preferences, brokerage account wise? Uh, I don't have preferences per se. Uh, Schwab has pretty good reputation. Fidelity. Um, yeah. Oh, are we hating these? Oh, no, I, I love I like, them. I, I was like, I'm actually right with you with the anti Robin Hood part of things as well. Uh, you know, just not a good company. I'm, I'm not suggesting that people go there either. Um, but also just looking at like kind of what you need. So the commission free trading is a good perk to get, you know, be able to take advantage of looking at other costs and things that are associated with the account that you're deciding to open. So, yeah. 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 I like those too. Thanks for the question. And uh, we will send you out a, a t-shirt. You can pick what size, but congratulations. I mean, if you want congratulations, cause you're small, I don't know if you want congratulations for that or not, but, but anyway, nice work. She might not actually be a small like Paul. <laughs> she, she might just like to wear it small. Right. right. 
her and Paul. I bet it's Mrs. Ollinger who called in. Sometimes and they can have. They, what is it to you? They could have. They could have. Told can, you about our eyes wide shut thing. <laughs> matching T-shirts. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. You can do that using your phone or if your computer has a built-in microphone, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and we will answer your question as well. Guys, that's going to do it for today. Let's start with, uh, we'll we'll go ladies last this time. So why don't we start with Mr. Penzo. Len, what's going on at lenpenzo.com besides the secret uh, ribs recipe, I'm sure is going to be coming up there. On LenPenzo.com, just coincidentally, I have an article about how I handle the word no with my kids when they were younger. So just perfect timing there, Joe. When they asked for presents or wanted to take the car more than five miles or. Yes, (laughs) we we go in. I go into the uh, exactly the importance of being able to say no to your kids. So or or if they didn't want to take part in your game night, your Dungeons and Dragons night. Exactly right. And, and as usual, this is uh, it's not a hard read. So, folks, this is written at a, at a third grade level. So come on over because nobody's coming here. Nobody's coming to LenPenzo.com. No, <laughs> By the way, one last thing, too. I know Paul is not here, so I didn't have to worry about the Nobel Peace Prize winners that I had. To, but but I've got Paul and I've got Lauren. And what do I hear about today? They, they're both Olympians and they've got, you know, and Paul's got his Apollo Ono and, and Lauren's got her her cadre of fellow Olympians. So thank you for letting me go first so I didn't have to follow those. Two. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could do uh, uh, Mr. Ollinger besides uh, Mr. Ono. What's coming up on Crazy Money? Remind me what today is. What's the date today, Joe? Today's the 18th, my friend. Oh, the, it, it's exact. The, it, you know how I know that? Because it's exactly a week after Lauren's birthday. Oh, that was such a fun party we all went to that you she didn't get, invite you to. I'm sorry about that, Joe. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, this week on Crazy Money, we have Guy Raz from How I Built This, the massively popular uh, show on NPR. We talk about entrepreneurship and uh the meaning of work. And uh, two weeks ago, I had Bill Perkins, Die With Zero. He's an author of a book called Die With Zero, which is all about using your money to live your life and maximize your experiences. Awesome. And that's where finer podcasts are sold. Absolutely. Search for crazy money. Absolutely free, by the way. I was kidding about the sold part. I I have to be, I have to be clear about that because people who don't listen to podcasts are like, oh, do I really have to pay for that? Uh, no. Wait a minute. How- He's like Sam Harris. <laughs> it, it's free because Paul's been sending me a bill on monthly every, and I've been paying him. <laughs> and I've been buying bauxite with all lens proceeds. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, not that bull- <laughs> actual bauxite. He just buys the ETF, Len. He just, buy- <laughs> just buys the ETF. Loser. <laughs> I'm going to go to GoDaddy and register the website box o bauxite right now. <laughs> dot com. I'm not going to take the dot org. I'm going to go for the real thing. <laughs> not going for dot mineral, bauxite dot mineral, bauxite dot stone. No. Lauren, like thanks it. for hanging out with us. It was lovely hanging out with you gentlemen. It's about time we had you back on the show. So I was so happy that you said yes after I, you know, hung out at your house for a week and a half trying to get I'm you to so come glad out. that you decided I could be a weekly contributor for the rest of the year. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really happy to be on. Oh, you kidding me? Versus Len? Huge upgrade. Huge, <laughs> huge upgrade. <laughs> Laura, what's going on at the Worth Listening Podcast? 
in the words listening podcast, we are coming up on investing in real estate and also just general home buying. So all things purchasing property. We've got uh, Sunita Rao coming on and Olympian. Sorry, Lynn, to keep dropping names, but yeah, a, Olympic tennis player turned real estate investor. Wow. Um, also, Andrew Kerr. So yeah, we got some good guests coming up. Yeah. And real estate, just a hugely expensive time of your life. So if you're going to get it right, get it right around your real estate. Very expensive to say the least. And we know that home purchases is on the rise because people are running out of their one bedroom apartments after being trapped indoors because of pandemics. But you should probably learn about home purchasing before you run off and do that thing. Probably, probably should. I always find it amazing when somebody says, no, we'll skip the inspection. No, no, no. That's that inspection's five hundred bucks. I don't want to do the inspection. Oh my god! Oh, just kidding me. All right, that's going to do it for today. And by the way, that also uh, worth listening is uh, wherever finer podcasts are sold. Right? Yes, yes, all the places. Absolutely, and we'll link to everybody's stuff on our show notes page at stackybenjamins dot com. All right, Doug, that's going to do it for today, man. You've got it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable contributors. Maybe simple living means more fun on less and not just less. Second, take a lesson from Zach Pettit. The fintech scene is alive and well. But the big takeaway? Turns out Ellen DeGeneres doesn't currently need an announcer guy. But hey, on the upside... I'm sure I can drown my sorrows by buying my own F-16 Fighting Falcon. If I come up with uh, 14 million bucks and some change, I'm sure that would be simple living, wouldn't it? Special thanks to Lauren Williams for coming on the show today and sharing her knowledge with us. You can find her at worthwinning.com and also listen to her podcast wherever you're listening to us now. Also, a special thanks to Paul Ollinger for joining us at the roundtable. You can find Paul's podcast, Crazy Money, also wherever you're listening to us right now. Seriously, look at your app. Punch these shows in. They're awesome. It's not that hard, folks. Len Penzo was gold on today's show, wasn't he? Well, at least he's hoarding it all under his bed. Finally, a special thanks to Zach Pettit for joining Joe and discussing his podcast. You'll find a link to For Fintech's Sake on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show, guys, stays in the after show. So for those of you new to this party, I love it when people have listened to the show for six months and had no idea that we have a hidden track at the end of every single one. Just makes my day. Normally, we don't talk about money, but I'm so elated as we're recording this. I just found out that all the airlines, most of the big airlines have just gotten rid of the ticket change fee which I don't know if you've been subject to one of these fees. The t ticket change fee is the biggest we can, so we will fee. It just, it means it. it's such garbage. So Can we really say whatever we want on this? Because I want to say a bad word. Oh, absolutely. We will beep it out, but I'm all about the bad <laughs> words. In fact, what's funny is I was stuck, Lauren, by where you live in Dallas. I was stuck at the Dallas airport. The plane before ours going to Texarkana, where I lived at the time, was delayed. And this same plane was going to have to go to Texarkana and come back. And then ours, our plane was going to then take off. So the plane hadn't left yet. It's sitting at the gate. I go up to the gate agent. I said, hey, can I get on this plane? And she goes, oh, yeah, there's there's nobody on this plane. And it's going to take off like in five minutes. I'm like, oh, fantastic, because, you know, my plane is supposed to leave in 20. And I know that it's going to be the same plane. So that's going to save me three hours round trip of this thing. So she goes, okay, great. Well, uh, for you and Cheryl, it's going to be what, 200 bucks. I'm like, for what? Well, for you to get, get on this plane. But you told me the plane's empty. Sir, I have to charge you $200 to let you get on this plane because it would be a change to your original original thing. I'm like, but my ticket says I leave now. This plane is leaving now. <laughs> Like, like, why the hell? And and it was funny because she, I felt bad for her because she, she actually finally told me, she goes, sir, I will lose my job if I let you on this plane without having $200 in my hand. So I ended up tweeting to American Airlines, which, which is bad because, you know, taking advantage of the fact that I have some followers and within, I'm going to say the first thing American Airlines said was, please take this up with a gate agent. And then I tweeted back, well, it's funny I did. And she was a very nice lady. And she also kind of insinuated this is a dumbass policy that has nothing to do with her. <laughs> and so uh, so this is just some bean counter somewhere not letting me on a plane. When It seems like you're in transportation. Your goal is to have me go home. And you don't want me to go home until I put 200 more dollars. You know what ended up happening? They ended up giving us $450 in vouchers for future trips. They spent more money making me happy it was it, it was it was very sad. But anyway, anybody else have a baloney airline story they'd like to share? I'll give you one. I was and I was in Dallas. This happened to me in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. All the bad ones I, happened in Dallas. Yeah. You guys are just flooing on my city. <laughs> yeah. I, I was headed to Huntsville. So uh, from Southern California. Gosh, I can't remember the airline because I fly so many. I, I Let's think, just call it American. I, I won't say. We'll just yeah. call it American because that's what mine was. <laughs> I I, can't, I won't say because this is a bad story. Really, I think it was no, American. Then it probably was American. <laughs> but I flew in and we just got into Dallas and there was one of their tremendous thunderstorms. This was in the summertime. So I just got into Dallas. Tremendous thunderstorm. It ended up canceling tons of flights. People were lined up in the terminals trying to get new flights it turns out that my next – the next available flight for me to go to Huntsville was two days away, all right? I had to be there. I could not just 
turn around and go home. Okay. I had to, I had to be there for a meeting uh, that was over several days and it was very important. So I had no option, but to sit there and wait or drive. I decided anyways, it two days, they said it was going to take me two days to get to Huntsville on my next flight. Well, here's the thing. My luggage I said, just give me my luggage and I'll get a hotel. They said, sorry, your luggage is on the next plane that you're not allowed to go to Huntsville. <laughs> and we're not going to give it to you. And I said, what do you mean you're not going to give me my luggage? My, so my luggage made the next flight to Huntsville, but I didn't for two days. So <laughs> I was stuck for two days in Dallas. Unbelievable. Without any luggage. You didn't drive. You didn't just rent a car and drive the rest of the way? Uh, no, I was told by the company that uh, they would tolerate me being delayed two days. It was a it was a multi day event, and they just pushed my presentation back. But I stayed. I guess I could have flown. Sounds back. like a good story, not a horror story. You got a nice free vacation. I know that's what I'm thinking. Of Dallas, <laughs> let's like was, thank I you, American Airlines. But but can you believe that they wouldn't even take my my luggage off the plane? The plane hadn't left yet. I said, can you just take my. Uh, Give me my luggage. And they refused. They said, but sorry. the company bought you some new clothes. So this is a win-win no, situation. <laughs> no, they didn't. But he got to steal some cool soap from the Holiday Inn Express. Yeah. <laughs> I, got a free, I got a complimentary toothbrush. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Paul, you never travel. You know, that comedy I, thing. I Well, I don't travel anymore. But I, I've taken a new stance on the airlines. And, you know, when I find myself screaming in all caps on Twitter, you know, tagging either my cell phone, cell phone provider or my, or whatever airline it is, it, you realize that you're just like, I, I, I am powerless. I am choosing this route because I am powerless, the route of expressing my feelings because I feel powerless. And everybody in the world knows it when I do that. Now, if you have as many followers as Joe does and you can at American Airlines, that's one thing. So what I've tried to do is just, you know, mumble the serenity prayer to myself and realize that when it comes to airline travel, I am powerless. So I accept the things that are outside of my control. And no, this isn't any part of a 12-step program. I just am tired of getting outraged and losing my mind in the airports because there's ample reasons to do so. I've had plenty of terrible travel experiences coming back from Barcelona en route to Los Angeles with a nine-month-old. And we our flight was delayed by three and a half hours because they brought the wrong dinner trays onto the plane. What? Yeah, wrong trays. The trays didn't fit in the little cabinets because they brought them for the wrong plane. So we miss our connection to JFK and, you know, with a nine-month-old and stay the night in some flea bag hotel near the airport. And that was one of the worst travel days of my life. But anyway, it's at a certain point, you're going to charge me, you're going to charge me. I'm not going to beat myself up. That's my simplicity plan. That's mine. Just say like, if you're going to charge me $100, I'm not going to lose my mind about it. I'll take reasonable requests to ask for an exception. But at a certain point, you know, I jump through hoops. I, I live in Atlanta, so you can guess what airline I fly. And I jump through hoops to please my aeronautical master. Uh, and I carry the, I carry the credit card and I fly, I pay more than I should for tickets, but that's because I want to have that gold plus status so that I don't get screwed over a hundred dollars at a time. It's crazy. And by the way, it embarrasses me the fact that I was able to do something that most people can't do because of my Twitter followers. It shouldn't embarrass you. It shouldn't embarrass you because it's, it's them who will treat anybody the way they can up to the point that they push, you know, somebody around. And the fact that they're going to blame their, their frontline employee, that they're going to push it back corporate, somebody corporate's going to push it back on their frontline employees. That's a bit shameful. 
I think. It's horrible. Yeah. I felt really bad for her. I thought she was awesome and she, her hands were tied. What was she going to do? Did you like, I don't know if you know who I am, but have you ever heard of stacking <laughs> freaking Benjamins? <laughs> after I had to write it on a piece of paper for her, after saying it three times, I, I gave I up on that. Not the guy with the bag over his head. I am not. Just, you know, just I'm, so you know. I'm the other one. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I find myself screaming, I could. When I find myself screaming, no, I'm the other one. Don't crazy. You got to bring the power, man. You got to fight power with power, Joe. And it's stacking Benjamins versus the yes. multi-trillion dollar airline industry. There's my, so, money, my money's on you. There's so many bad things going on in the universe, and I'm upset about airline. Uh, you know, next time I have a problem with my water bill, I'm calling you, Joe. You know those appearances I made, Joe? Time for you to pay Mr. Penzo. Yes. Have Joe call my city hall. <laughs> Do you, you know, know who, who I, I am? am? <laughs> <laughs> my buddy Len getting screwed over by the band. His water meter is broken. Uh, Lauren, you must. Y you've traveled a ton as well. I have traveled a ton. Um, and like Paul, I live in a nice big hub city. So I don't like you guys talking about my airline that I've been a loyal customer and some sort of frequent flyer or something or other for the last God knows how many years. Um, I too wear the golden handcuffs so that I can get all the perks that other people don't get. Um, if you're listening, you should make me a concierge key member. Um, <laughs> but like... I also want to say some bad things too. I'm not going to tell stories though. I have like these like random facts that I want to share. Like one, that nice young lady that you were speaking to, I'm glad you were nice to her because you know what? They get pay. So I actually have a lot of friends that now work in the airline industry because they want to get the flying perks. But then they realize that the flying perks don't really help you because the pay is so shit that when you get to the place that you've flown for free, you can't do anything because you have no money. Yeah. I think it's really unfair that they pay such low wages and ask for such a high level of professionalism and, you know, have to deal with these angry people who are not as nice as Joe was when his flights weren't going quite right. So, yeah, I wanted to say that. I wouldn't say I was nice, but because that, that's that's that would be an overstatement of the truth. I don't think I was nice. I got incredibly sarcastic. My wife had to kind of pull me back and uh, then I got nice. Well, you should go bake that girl some cookies. Actually, I know a girl who does cookies and they're really good. You could buy them from her because she's starting a cookie business and you could give them to the girl that you were not so nice to. I've heard that story. Thing number two is lottery tickets being sold on airplanes. Have you guys seen this before? What? Yeah, that's a thing. If you get on a cheap and a raggedy enough budget airline, not only do you not get to put your bag on the plane, you have to pay extra for that. But also there's big signs that tell you all about all the different lottery purchases you can make. You can buy your water, you can buy your lottery tickets, you can buy your napkins, everything on this airline. In addition to cigarettes, which can't be smoked on the airplane. So I don't know why they're selling them. That's a real thing. That happened to me before. Fred's lottery. Yeah, I want to have my own lottery ticket. That's a good idea. Well, yeah, we, we need to Sell bring lottery that ticket. Also, I've ridden on a plane with a dead person. That was not. Oh. Yeah, so we stopped. I was on my way to Africa. We stopped in some remote location, and they wheeled a body onto the plane oh. and put it in the back, and it was covered with a sheet, and I was like, can't be dead. Like, is that legal? Uh, yeah, there was a dead person on my plane. I asked the flight attendant when we got off, so... Um, that's least, something weird and not wow. positive that happened to you. At least you didn't snore. 
<laughs> that is true. And I didn't have to sit directly by the person. <laughs> Small little things in life. Wouldn't that suck if they had the seat right next to you? It was like weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely suck. And last but not least, someone smoked on an airplane. So huh? you know they got that whole spiel about how it's a FAA regulation. You can't do it. It's illegal, et cetera. And somebody still wanted to test the waters and smoke on an airplane. It was awful. <laughs> so the flight attendant turned into like straight karate kid, kicked the door in, pulled the person out. Wow. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to get physical. Like, But the person just kind of came on out, put it out and sat in their seat. But of course, when we landed, the first thing that happened is the police came on and escorted the smoking gentleman off first. So that kind of ruined that flight. And you can smell it circulating in the in the the doodads, you know. <laughs> Everybody got to smell smoke for the whole time. Paul, was it worth it smoking on that plane? You know, uh, I've got lots of bad habits, but smoking isn't one of them. I guess I guess I can feel for the person who's on an eight hour flight that smokes four cigarettes an hour, but uh no, cigarettes aren't my aren't my vice. I just can't. I just can't imagine. Remember when planes actually had smoking and non-smoking sections? I mean, it was the right. biggest joke. No, like, no, yeah. no, 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 Len. There was that curtain between the sections, though. I don't know. There wasn't. Not in coach. <laughs> there was no curtain. <laughs> you're in row 16. You're non-smoking. Row 17 starts the smoking section. It's like, yeah, that, that works really great. And they're blowing smoke right in your ear. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, great. I'm so glad that I wasn't born then. You guys are old. Oh, wait. Len, oh, Len, Len oh. gets caught right away telling the old guy story. It, it took you the whole podcast, Len. I know. I, well, I had to get it in. I know. That's, that's right. <laughs> the clock Lord, was... it happens all the time. <laughs> okay, good. Bluetooth isn't on. Once again, Paul, this is how the pros do it. I'm watching and learning. <laughs> Is it anonymous, that Guy Fox internet movement? <laughs> Man, that, this is right up your alley. It totally is. It's a, wouldn't that be great if we actually got a call from anonymous? <laughs> Yo, put down the microphone. We've heard the podcast and you're very bad at it. Stop podcasting or we're taking away all your equipment at midnight. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers.
Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.